millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Local Europe Edition recorded in Stockholm, Sweden on Wednesday the 8th of November 2017. My name is James Savage and with me is Emma Lufgren. This week we'll be talking to the nightmare of Amsterdam about how night owls need to be taken more seriously. We'll also be looking at why the French language is apparently in mortal danger. And it's not the fault of English this time. And we'll be talking fake news. How Sweden is looking to protect itself from interference in next year's election. Emma, what do you think about that? I have a question. Yeah? Why is it the nightmare of Amsterdam? <laughs> nightmare of Amsterdam. It's not. It's not like Elm Street. It's. It's Amsterdam have, isn't having an awful time. He is. It's my English pronunciation. He is the night mayor of Amsterdam. Ah, I see. Okay, so it's night also as opposed to day mayor. So it's exactly. K night, some ancient title of a mayor. No, we'll we'll talk about this more a bit later. But first, we're over to France. France is famously protective of its language, with the so-called immortals at the Académie Française appointed to keep the French tongue pure. But while English is usually the villain of the piece, now there's a new problem, political correctness. In short, they're upset about efforts to make the feminine form of words more visible. The locals' Ben McPartland is on the line from Paris. So, Ben, it seems to me that the French Academy is always upset about something. Could you explain exactly what the Academy is upset about this time? Yeah, they are often very upset about something. Uh, They don't often speak up, but when they do, they tend to be upset. Uh, And it's always around kind of changes to the language or the invasion of English words. This time, it's about, for example, you know, in the past, in a textbook, you would have a French word like uh, citoyenne, which means citizen. Now this inclusive writing, as it's called, wants the uh, the male form and the female form and the plural form written together. So if you can kind of imagine you would have citoyenne, uh, then you'd have a dot and then an N-E and then for the feminine form and then a dot and then an S. All sounds very complicated. I guess if you try to put it into kind of an English way, so if you wanted to write, write the word waiter, you would have to write the word waiter, put a dot, and then the R-E-S-S for waitress, and then for the a dot, and then a plural version, every time you wanted to write it. And the Academy says, well, look, this is just far too complicated for people to learn. This is going to make French even more complicated than it is. They've called it an aberration. They say the language is in mortal danger. Uh, all really strong terms. In mortal danger. I mean, technically, this is sort of what we learnt in school, right? I mean, we always learned that the neutral, that the masculine form was also the neutral form. It's also what we're doing in English now. If you read a lot of American newspapers or British newspapers, if they talk of actors, they also mean 
female actors as well, and they'll often refer to actresses as actors so as not to be sexist. So what do the defenders of inclusive writing say? They do have a point. I think even the kind of detractors admit they have a point. For example, you know, they would talk about French terms about the rights of man, you know, les droits de l'homme. There's no reason why that can't be, you know, human rights, for example. There's no reason why when we talk about, for example, men and women, or sorry, men, we talk about men and women, or, you know, if we, to, if we refer to teachers, then why don't, you know, why don't we include the feminine version as well? Let's make it, let's have a kind of some subtle changes to make this language feel more gender, you know, gender equal, essentially. Obviously, that's something that the French Academy disagrees with violently, um, it seems in this case. Uh, do you think that people are going to listen to the French Academy? Do you think that these people who are who are promoting this idea of inclusive language are going to say, all right, well, the French Academy has spoken. Yeah, it's interesting. There was a poll that I think said 75% of French people agreed with this inclusive writing, you know, gender equal writing, yet only 12% actually knew what it was or how to actually write it, which suggests that uh, while it sounds good on paper, it doesn't look good on paper and it's certainly going to be hard to put onto paper for most French people. I think that there's an example of this is taken on slightly, I think, in Quebec more than in France. And there's been a few people in Quebec saying, look, it's kind of, it's really harmed writing over here. It's made it much more complicated. And I think, you know, this is one of those things. There's, there's a movement around this at the moment. I mean, I think there's a petition going of teachers uh, this week uh, talking about how to um, end this kind of grammar, for, uh, grammar form that makes the masculine form prevail over the feminine form. I have a feeling it will peter out when people really start to look at it and look how ungainly it is and complicated it is. Well, can't they just get rid of the masculine and the feminine forms altogether. That is what I am personally campaigning for. I have been for many years now. No one appears to be listening to me, though. It would be a language learner's dream. I mean, I personally, you know, forget about the uh, the le and the la. It's the last thing I think about, you know, uh, and if anyone tries to correct me, then they get a croissant in the face. Uh, <laughs> gently, of course, but um, that would be the ideal. I can't see, I can't see that ever happening, uh, of course. You know, the traditionalists rule over the French language and that would probably be the last thing to change, you know. But it would be a dream. Well, let's make it our next campaign. I'm not sure whether an English language publication trying to campaign to um, change the French language will um, just backfire. But I don't know. It'll be fun <laughs> trying not. anyway. Let's have a go. And then we can try with German. All right, Ben, thanks Great. very much. Yeah. Bye now. With the issue of Russian interference in last year's US election dominating the world news and investigations underway into alleged interference in the Brexit referendum, other countries are trying to prevent their own elections going the same way. Here in Sweden, they're going to great lengths to prepare. Emma, Sweden has found itself the subject of a lot of fake news, hasn't it? We're talking about a lot of different kinds of stories. I'll give you a few examples. There's uh, there's a famous example of uh, a letter in 2015 that was looked like it had been signed by the Swedish defence minister about arms sales to Ukraine. And, you know, that was just at the sort of peak of the Ukrainian crisis. And, and that appeared on social media and uh, and caused a bit of a stir. But, but the letter was was completely forged. And then you've got lots of other stories as well. I mean, there's, uh, there was a story that was floating around about Sweden banning Christmas lights, uh, which is uh, completely not true. In fact, they've just started putting up the Christmas trees around Stockholm. Yeah. Also stories about that are kind of factually correct, but are exaggerated in a way that, you know, they do it from a certain angle. It's always very negative stories from certain certain news media that come out, and um, they sort of cherry pick 
different things from stories and don't just explain the whole thing. This whole disinformation industry, it exists in a huge arena of of state actors that are involved, possibly, of uh, of uh, social media trolls, of uh, anti-immigration activists, and even of people like you and me who are just share links on social media without maybe checking if they're actually true or not. Absolutely. And even respectable media sometimes find themselves caught up in stuff, repeating things that they appeared that they thought were from a re- for, from a from a credible source but turned out not to be just a bit of um so journalistic laziness can end up spreading these things exactly you wrote a story this week on the local about the what they're doing to prepare here in sweden and it sounded like they're going to great lengths some of the things they're doing there's the the swedish civil contingencies agency which got oh God. a long and bureaucratic name but um they're, they're the kind of agency that deals with you know environmental disasters and other emergencies and they've also been uh, tasked with uh, sort of coordinating sweden's work about countering uh, disinformation so they keep a close eye on everything that's sort of going on in the social media and everything that's being written about sweden all of that and they're doing what they're kind of the people working a bit behind the scenes and talking to various swedish authorities like for example the security police has uh, mentioned russia as one of the possible culprits uh, trying to spread disinformation about sweden what a surprise (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's some things you can do. You can keep an eye on what's happening. You can make sure that you go out and kind of offer correct information. Like if somebody tweets something out that's wrong about a big cloud of gas hovering about Stockholm, then you know, Swedish authorities can go out and say, well, no, actually, that's that's not true. But they're also saying that a lot of it is is down to just you and me, like, the the people are the first first line of defense almost like we have to be careful about what we share online and what we tell each other and also be a little bit more active i got i got into a row with a friend in england on facebook the other day about her sharing something that was obviously propaganda from some dodgy source and i mean it is a bit uncomfortable you don't really like to have that row with your friends but but sweden is being particularly singled out why sweden's got its problems okay so that's my first caveat but right. sweden is a comparatively democratic country that places a lot of emphasis on social values like gender equality uh, equality between people in general and is also quite economically successful and also presumably the whole the, the fact that sweden took in a lot of um uh, asylum seekers a few years ago has that's that's also played into this image of Sweden that people want to sort of knock down, right? As a as an open, welcoming, successful society. Yes, exactly. You want to you want to paint the picture that Sweden is turning into a war zone that is completely buckling under the pressure of of all of this, uh, all of the immigration and and the thing about these kinds of fake news is that there's always sort of a grain of truth to it. I mean, Sweden has you know struggled a bit with providing housing for everybody there. There is a problem with segregation, crime in certain suburbs, but it's not as bad as some of this disinformation makes it out to be. No. So message to the world. Sweden is not going under. Sweden is fine. We have a few problems. More or less. All right, Emma, thanks very much for that. If you live in a major world city, one of the things that might have attracted you was the vibrant nightlife. 
The chances are, though, that you also go to work every morning, and crowds of screaming revellers keeping you awake all night might not be conducive to productivity. That's why more and more cities are now looking at so-called nightmares, whose job it is to make nights more interesting without messing up the days. I caught up with Mirik Milan, the nightmare of Amsterdam, to find out more. I started by asking why the nighttime economy is important. At night, there's a lot of talent development going on for the creative industry. Uh, think about all the filmmakers, photographers, but also DJs, VJs, even, um, of course, live musicians. They all build their fan base and they develop their talents at night. And these, uh, these people are a huge value to the city because cities benefit from having a vibrant nightlife from social, cultural and economic perspective. And this is something, something which is happening every day, um, every weekend, I have to say, of course, at night. And uh, this is also my story as well. I'm, I'm a former club promoter. I was uh, organizing parties from when I was 20. And I really think that these little nightclubs or pop-up events or uh, um, uh, other places where creative people come together can be really, it's really useful for uh, cross-fertilization and people develop their talents. I think the first one to really got this or do this was actually Andy Warhol in the factory. Uh, they brought uh, creative people together. Uh, they started making videos, they started making uh, art and, and to together they became stars. Amsterdam's always, in my experience, had a great, uh, a great nightlife, but you, you decided that you needed somehow to develop that Further, what were the problems that you're encountering? What you always see is that people treat the night differently than the day. When there's a problem at night, the first reaction of city officials and people or, or uh, the mayors are to say we have to stop this now and really often killing an industry with it. Instead of what you would do during the day is grab all the uh, stakeholders together, bring in some, some smart people and try to come up with solutions that actually work. Um, so the role of the nightmare, the nightmare is an independent non-for-profit foundation which helps to ensure that the city of Amsterdam has a dyna dynamic and vibrant nightlife, like what I explained before. Uh, we really want to bridge the gap between the municipality, that's so that's mayor and city councillors, small business owners like nightclubs and festivals, but also city residents. We always say is by having a dialogue, you can change the rules of the game. So why is it so, why is it so important to have this dialogue? Because uh, the night is treated differently than, than, than the day. And so the biggest, our biggest job is always to explain to um, the municipality and to, to explain to uh, policymakers um, um, what the value of nightlife is. And we're always, we are always fighting for getting acknowledgement for the value our subculture, nightlife, creates for the city. Berlin already has, has from the 50s or from the, after the Second World War, is that they have 24-hour licensed venues. They can stay open 24-7. Um, and we wanted to do the same thing. So our biggest accomplishment or one of our accomplishments in Amsterdam was the introduction of 24-hour licensed venues. The reason why we did this because we want to, wanted to have bigger and better programs. If the clubs can stay open longer, they can, of course, um, uh, book uh, bigger lineups and get, uh, get more artists and people in. Uh, but on the other hand, it also uh, takes care of this other problem, which you would see happening everywhere in the world, is that 
when the venues close, they all close at the same time. So the people spill out onto the street all at the same time. And when there's a, like a thousand or maybe like even 5,000 people, like uh, when it comes to bigger squares, it's not controllable anymore. And this causes a lot of noise for neighbors. So the 24-hour licensed venues make sure we spread out the people over the night so that so it's less, uh, less complaints for neighbors living around these venues. So I want to pick you up on something you said earlier. You said that this kind of initiative can help tackle populism. Yeah. How? Okay, so in my opinion, art and culture uh, is a really important way to build communities. When you look at the, uh, the nowadays political uh, climate, uh, whether it's US, whether it's Western Europe, but definitely also a lot of places, other places in the world, we're all looking at, uh, we're all looking at our borders. But I think cities, cities will lead also, uh, the UN is all, or um, uh, other organizations also saying that like uh, in uh, 2050, a huge part of the world population will live in cities. And I think we should approach, like I really think that cities have this possibility to build communities. And what's not a better way to build community is it building them through music and through nightlife. And I think um, uh, there's the most proactive, open-minded and forward-thinking people. They all combine together, strangely enough, in at night. And at night, because there you're free. And you're free to speak about whatever you like and who you are and where you're, where you're going through. So that's why uh, I see this value and this promise um, that we can empower and create awareness. And, and like, I don't want to echo myself, but, but build this uh, diverse and inclusive cities. Well, that's all from us this time. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes store. And if you feel like giving us a rating, we'd be so grateful. Or you can get in touch with us directly on Facebook or on Twitter. And that's at The Local Europe. Meanwhile, it is in Croatian, Bok from me. And it's Heipa from me. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.